So good. Thank you. Hey, we've had the opportunity in the last month or two to really be going through this idea of the fearless life. And, you know, if you've missed a couple of, uh, of uh, uh, messages, um, they really all go together. So I just want to encourage you to, you can go to the website and listen to them in your car or driving or wherever. Um, because last week we had a real, just an awesome time talking about um, how deception can can keep us from the fearless life. And I, I just feel like, man, I mean, we're just learning some great stuff. In fact, I, I've been talking to a lot of people in general, seeing how people are being delivered from fear, delivered from this idea that, that uh, of all the things that can that can put up around us, be put up around us, these walls that keep us from the life that God has for us. And, um, and we've been seeing people just coming to Jesus. I mean, praise the Lord. We've had, we had a young gal come to Jesus a couple of weeks ago, and I mean, it's just so neat to see people coming to the Lord, you know, coming to Jesus. And we've had people signing up, either getting baptized or wanting to get baptized. That is awesome. I mean, so much so that I'm like, man, we need to start doing this more often. <laughs> Why haven't we been? Um, I'd love to see a, a, a um, you know, a portable baptismal or something. We just throw out here and say, let's get baptized right now. You know, let's do this thing. It's just so awesome to see as people are stepping out and saying, I'm not going to let fear control me any Lord, anymore. I'm going to walk in the plan and the purpose of God. I'm going I, to trust in Him. I'm going to trust in His plan. And it's just neat to see that. And for, for me personally, this has been awesome. Because I've been able to see personally how God has been working in my life and, and talking to the leaders. You know, Jason and I, we're not just co-leaders, we're also friends and just talking to each other about these things and, and seeing in our leadership and those that are working and seeing how they're stepping out and working through the fear that's just all around us and yet living a fearless life. And so today I want to address another aspect, another part of life that very much so can siphon, can sap can steal, can drain us of the joy that we, we can experience, that, that can take our, our, our freedom and leave us fearful. It, it's, well, it's that thing that keeps you quiet in a room full of friends that you need to speak up, you feel the need to be real with them, the need to share the reality of maybe that, that past that you lived or even some of your present But this thing stands in the way, keeping you silent, keeping you in fear. See, it's it's this thing that every now and again pops into your brain and weighs down your heart to, to a point that it keeps you from really experiencing the joy and the freedom that only a fearless life in Jesus brings. It's it's that thing that most people have or take to their grave because they never had the courage or strength to give it to God, trusting Him that he would take this thing away. This thing is typically housed in the past, but can hold us captive in the present as it threatens to daily destroy our future. What is this thing that has such power, that we give such power to in our life, keeping us fearful? It's shame. Another word for shame that we use is, is regret or guilt or remorse, but it's just there. And, and a lot of times it keeps us from the fearful life that we need. It's the thing that just keeps us silent when we need to speak. Keeps us hiding when we need to be out. We don't learn to face it. If we don't, 
In the power of the Lord, we're going to fall every time. And so I really want to address this today through the, the book of Joshua, which I believe is a, is a perfect place here in, the, in, verse, in chapter 10 where we see this because there's some interesting things that are going on. Because if you remember from last week, we saw the Israelites really get deceived. You know, they, they, they just got, they got snookered. You know, they, they, they didn't inquire of the Lord. You know, here are the people of God, right? The people that God has, has said, come on in, I've given you this land, you're going to take possession of it. Wherever you go, wherever you step your foot, that's where your land that you're going to have. And I've, I've won the battle already. And so they almost get a little too confident and they forgot to say, hey God, do you want us to go here? Do you want us to do that? Or should we trust these people? And it says they did not inquire of the Lord. People who live a life of inquiring of the Lord, didn't inquire of the Lord. And they get snookered. They get shammed. They get bamboozled. Whatever you want to say. But they they get deceived. And see, the truth is, a lot of times when that happens, we can become ashamed. Because if if that happens enough, you get to a point where it's like, I'm done. I'm going to walk away. I've lost it. But they don't do that. They don't choose to make this the prominent thing of their life. They choose to say, we were wrong, and we're going to walk, and we're going we're to walk in the Lord. We're going to admit it, and we're going to keep going. Because God has a plan for us, even when we, when we fall. I'm not going to let shame control me. So today, I want to look at this take-home truth that we have, and we're going we're gonna to look at this in a lot of different ways through the book of uh, uh, Joshua chapter 10. But... But the simple thing is this, fearless living comes when we remember that God moved heaven and earth. When we remember that God moved heaven and earth to free us from the shame of sin. Alright, if you can stand up, we're going to read out of the book of Joshua chapter 10. And, And let me just say, if you don't believe that this thing of shame can affect you, it it can. It, It really can. And so my hope today, my prayer today, is that you, every single one of you, whatever you have, you're going to deal with that. Because I think we can live this free life that God promises of us. But we need to obey His Word. We need to know that He's true. And so there's some really good things in here. So I just want to share this really quick with you out of the book of Joshua chapter 10. It says this, Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its kings. And the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace, of peace with Israel and had become their allies. Remember, that's where they got deceived. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Chohem, king of Hebron, Parim, king of Jarmuth, Jephia, and Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me and attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So you see what's going on here? Like, these guys made peace with our enemies, so let's kill them. So then, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jeremoth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilga, Do not abandon your servants! Yeah, they sent word. They're scared. (laughs) Right? Oh no! Five kings! Five kingdoms against us! Come up to us quickly and save us! Help us! Because all of the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Verse 7, so Joshua marched up from Gilga with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Don't forget that. All the best fighting men. 
The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, you see, they learned their lesson. Let me just say that really quick. They had listened to the Lord. God had said. They inquired. We're going to do this. They did it. God told them. Now, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion. Before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Haran, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day of the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to, the, said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Don't miss that. The sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashir. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky, delaying going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp of Gilgal. Okay, you may be seated. There's a lot going on here, but it's some awesome stuff. This is truly, before the movie did it, the day the earth stood still. Okay? Some of you know that movie. But there's some awesome things here, and I I don't want us to miss this. Now, I didn't go through the whole chapter because you'd be standing for a little bit longer and then some. Because there's a lot there. So please, when you go home this week, look it over, read it over, study it. Ask the Lord, Lord, inquire of him as Joshua did. What are you saying here? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? I guarantee you, you start seeking the Lord in that manner, he will talk to you. Because he made the mouth. He knows how to talk. (laughs) He made the ears. He knows how to listen. And he wants to do that with you. So I want to inquire of you that. And get into a grow group. Because you're going to be doing some stuff in there too. When it comes to hearing the Lord and growing. So first thing I want to point out to here. Fearless living means we can't forget that when we side with God, we will feel opposition. Now, the the interesting thing about what's going on here is you've got these five kings of the Amorites. Really, it's the whole Canaanite territory, all right? And and What's interesting is this whole area is filled with wickedness. I mean, it is the Wild West. And so, basically, they don't get along with each other. There's a lot of wars. There's a lot of just bad stuff happening. But they all rally together because Israel's coming in. And they're like, look, I hate you, you hate me, but we hate them more. You get what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm talking about. So it's like, this, it's like this conglomerate of evil to really take on the good. Because they're like, we, I don't really care. It kind of, again, I, I know I'm a nerd. I go to Lord of the Rings, okay? I love Lord of the Rings. But it's the idea of the orcs. I mean, the orcs hate each other. The trolls, I mean, they all fight each other. But Sauron comes in, we're going to fight the, you know, and he controls them all to take out the good. And that's the truth. I mean, that's what you have here. I don't want to call them orcs necessarily. But these people, they don't like each other. And they're taking, but they, they band together. And they band together to take out one of their old neighbors that they used to really not like, but was one of their neighbors. The Gibeonites, who, if you remember, sought to save their own skin by, by deception, but they sided with the Lord. They sided with Israel. And because they sided with them, now the world around them hates them. But this is always the case. Can I just say that this is always the case when you start seeking the Lord. You side with God... And you will get enemies. 
It's just the way it is. And, and, and I wish it weren't that way. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things I wish I can come up here and say. And, and, and say, hey, everybody gets Lamborghinis. You know, <laughs> Everybody gets money. Everybody gets... There, there's a lot of things I wish I could say. But this is one of those I wish I could say. It was like, oh yeah, you accept Jesus and you'll never have problems again. No. That's not the case. That's just not the truth. See, when you seek to follow God in a world that could care less about God, you will have enemies. You make a stand and ally yourself with God in the treatment of those that are abused and picked on and you will open yourself up to those at school who pick on the abused. I remember challenging youth to this, this idea. We used to have clothes that we would get from Volcom. The Lord blessed us with like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of clothes. At one time, I had a whole 53-foot sea container full of Volcom clothes that we got for free. Some of the, my, my old youth know this. They, they're sitting in the back. And How many Volcom clothes did you get, Daniel? Probably a lot, right? Um, but I would challenge them. I'd say, hey, are there people in your school that you know are in need? Grab some of this. Take a couple shirts. Go up to them and say, happy birthday. Well, it's not my birthday. Yeah, but I missed it. (laughs) You had a birthday this year, and I just want to bless you with this. I'm sorry we missed your birthday. May the Lord bless you. You know, something simple. And I had a girl that took this serious. She said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to this one person I know that sits by themselves, and sometimes I see them crying, and, you know, they just look really in need. And so I'm going to side with God, and I'm going to help this person out. Well, they did this. They went to this person, and this person chewed them out up down, left, right, you name it, screamed at them, almost hit them. And, they, and this girl was like, came back to me and said, why did you make me do this? <laughs> I thought, here I was giving this to this person and they, they were mad at me. They didn't like me. They chewed me. I said, we don't do it because of how good they'll act to us. See, the truth is, when you, when you do God's thing, they just might put you on a cross and kill you. See, when you side with God... You open yourself up to the enemy. And people are going to attack you. And I wish that wasn't the case, but here we have Gibeon and they're experiencing it. I love what Jesus says in John 15. He says this, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. <laughs> See, this is the thing that drives me crazy today, right? You, you go out there on the street and you say, Hey, do you hate Jesus? Nine times out of ten, you're going to find people who go, What? No, why would I hate Jesus? Jesus is my man. You know what I mean? I mean, Jesus is like, everybody loves Jesus, right? Forget everybody loves Raymond. Everybody loves Jesus. I mean, they do. I mean, you can go to almost everybody. I mean, I, I had atheist friends. I had, I had friends that were, you know, just philosophies of Nietzsche and I mean, you name it. But they'd still be like, but Jesus was a good guy. You know, I mean, yeah, Jesus, he was a good guy. You know, he, was, he did good things. I'd be friends with Jesus. They put Jesus on a cross. We, we forget this. And they hated Jesus. The crowd who welcomed him in three days later said, crucify him. Kill him in the most painful way possible. And they'll do the same to you, Jesus says, because if you side with me, you'll get it. My, my question is simple. Where, where are you feeling opposition by those around you for partnering with Jesus? Where are you feeling the disdain and anger of your neighbors because you have allied with Christ Jesus, with King Jesus? Maybe you've been made the outcast at work because you won't join in to the degrading of the boss that you don't like, but everybody else doesn't like too, and, but you're not joining in on that. And maybe they've tried to bring you in and, hey, 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 Jim, come here. 
you hate so-and-so too, don't you? You know, and they're looking at you like, come on, join with us. Tell us how much you can't stand. He did this to you the other day. Tell us how you felt. Let's hear all the deets, right? They want to know how bad you feel with this guy or this gal that treated you bad because they want, to, they want you to ally with them in their hatred and in their anger to the guy that you're called as a Christian to love. And maybe you're like me. And sometimes you go, yeah, let me tell you how bad this guy treated me. And for a minute you're like, camaraderie. And for a minute you're like, yeah, misery loves company. But then you walk home. Then you get there and, you know, and, you, and then the guilt comes and the regret and the shame. Because you realize that you just destroyed a living being with your words. I've been there too many times, people. And I know you have too, because you're just like me. You're a human being. <laughs> See, God didn't create us to join in with the, with the evil of the world. He called us to stand up against, to side with Him, and to love our enemies, to love the turds that are over us. <laughs> it's the best way I can say it, because sometimes they are. They're turds. And I know it's not politically correct, but you know what I'm talking about. Why does that guy get to tell me what to do when he doesn't even know what I do and he's a jerk about it? And it's easy to join in, but it's really hard to feel the stares and the giggles behind your back as you seem to side with God and not talk about that person and they're all talking about you now. Maybe it's your family or your spouse that just constantly attacks you for going to church and they have seemed to make it their mission to argue with you about church and your choice to follow God. Home is no longer a safe place. It's more of a war zone as people gang up to attack you about your decision. So the truth is we're called not to forget whose side we fight for. If you're not feeling some sort of opposition in your daily life, then maybe you have forgotten which side you're on. Can I just say that again? If you're not really feeling the opposition, then maybe you forgot whose side you're on. Because if you really stick to the plan that God has for you, it's going to fly in direct opposition to those around you and the plan that the world has for you or the people have for you. Secondly, fearless living means we actively fight for our neighbors and love our enemies. Ooh, I don't like this one either, but it's the truth. <laughs> you see... The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said, Help us! And you know what? I mean, honestly, of all the times to be like, You know what, suckers? You tricked us! Right? I mean, look at chapter 9. This is just days, weeks before, right? I mean, the Gibeon came along. They had their little deception. They practiced their illusion and their tricks. And they said, Oh, we're from a far country. I mean, you know, you go through it. It's pretty quick. And, and, and Israel's like, Okay, we'll do it. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They did it. And now they're... But now, oh, it's the reckoning, baby. Right? Serves you right. Serves you right. It's driving down the street. And that guy that cut you off and almost killed your family... Is stopped by the cop and you go by slow enough just to roll down the window and say, Ha ha! Right? Come on! You know what I'm talking about! It's justice! It's justice! But, but that's not what God wants of us. He's the judge. He's the judge. 
See, can I just say this? You're, you're never more like Jesus than when you're fighting for your neighbors, especially the ones that you can identify with as your enemies. You're never more like Christ than when you fight for your enemies. Jesus' life was patterned all about dying for those that hated Him. He gave to those that would never give back to Him. He helped those that would never help Him. And He was not ashamed to die for His enemies. And you're never more like Jesus than when you step up and fight for your neighbor, especially the one that can't give back to you, especially the one that's done this to you just a couple days before. And we've all been there. And if you haven't been there, you will get there. Because there will be a time when the Gibeonites will come a-knocking and say, Help me! Or you have a chance to help them. What will you do? See, and this is what's awesome about the, the Israelites. is They inquire to the Lord because the Lord said, Go, I'll, 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 I'll take care of you. You're going to win. But they don't just go. Because the temptation is this. Okay, alright, you're down in your luck. I'll pray for you. Because that's the Christian thing to do, right? I'll pray for my enemy. I'm not going to talk to them, though. Why would I talk to them? And I'm definitely not going to give them anything. Why would I do that? But I'll pray for them. No. It says this, with his entire army, including his best men, the best fighting men. See, he didn't just give. They gave their best. You know how hard that is? To give your best to the people that really put the screws on you. I mean, think of that. Nothing helps more to combat shame and regret in our life than when we bring our best for our enemies and those that can't give anything back. See, this is what Jesus does for us. He gave us everything and brought His best. Jesus didn't give us 60%. You know, those people on the cross that were jeering Him and mocking Him and screaming at Him and hurting Him and poking Him, I mean, you name it. He gave them the best. See, when you stick up for the coworker who has made it their life's mission to take your job, you are representing Jesus and standing against shame. When you go out of your way to call that ex-friend who has for some reason hates you and every chance they get, they post it, they tell it to people, they talk about you behind their back, they belittle you in public, they mock you. But for the 74th time, you call them and let them know or you talk to them that you're praying for them, that you care for them, that you love them. You're representing Jesus and standing against shame. When you forgive those that hurt you so deeply growing up, and in fact you go out of your way so much so that it seems like you're fighting more for them than yourself, you're fighting to let them know you forgive them. You're fighting to let them know that you still pray for them, that you still love them, and that you're not going to give up on them. And you're representing Jesus and standing against shame. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You know what I love about this? Kids aren't ashamed to come to their parents. One of the coolest stories was Francis Chan was talking one time and he said, he was at a big conference and he had to bring his kids because he's got like 1,800 of them, you know. And, and he, says, he says he was just up there talking. I mean, we're talking like 8,000 people in the crowd. And one of his young kids was, was just, you know, 
didn't know that you're not supposed to go up and talk to your dad in the middle of a talk. And he runs up on stage past all the stuff, tripping all over everything, comes up to his dad and says, Dad, and holds on to his leg. In front of everybody while he's talking. There's no shame. There's no shame in children. Because that's dad. You see, Jesus says, you stand up for your enemy. And what do you have to be ashamed of? Because you're Jesus in that moment. And you're just going to the, to the knee of your heavenly father. And that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Third, fearless living means we face our sins by faith in Jesus. Uh, verse 16. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave of Makeda. See, what's interesting is the, the Israelites go to battle for the Gibeonites. They take all their armies. They take their best men. And they fight them. And God does it. I mean, he takes care of it. What's interesting is it says, you know, the hailstones killed more than the Israelites. So it's like God is just trying to prove, look, it's my battle, not yours. I will take care of it. I will do it. And he does it. And so these five kings run to a cave, because there's a lot of them, and they hide, thinking they can get away with it. The interesting thing about this is in the land of Canaan, you had over 400 years, about 420, 430 years, that, that, that the Canaanites, these people, had been told by God's people, by many different people, by God, shape up. Because what you're doing is evil. Again, I, I kind of likened it to the Wild West, but it's almost like as if the Aztec culture and the Wild West culture, I mean, you take all the evil stuff, because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I look at the Aztec culture, all I see is the fact that they used to do human sacrifices, you know, and the, the, you go to Mexico today, and you go in those Central American places today, and you see the temples, and they're still red from the blood, the amount of blood that would come down from all the sacrifices they would make. Well, that to some extent was the Canaanite culture in a little bit of a scale ritualistic sacrifice, ritualistic prostitution, child sacrifice was the norm. Was the norm. I mean, when you look at the history of the place, I mean, it was bad. People had been crying out for hundreds of years for justice because of the evil that was perpetrated, the wickedness, the lawlessness. Millions of voices crying out for it to stop. And God had come and said, stop or you will be judged. Shape up. Follow me. Come to me. And it's interesting because the people of Israel sent people out in pleasing, come to God and you won't be killed. Come to God and you will be... You know, that's Rahab of all the people. Prostitute in Jericho with her, her whole background. She says, I get it. I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming to God. I'm going to give him my life because, you know what? It's better than this. But the majority of the people said, nope. The majority of people. And, 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 and what's interesting is we have the kings kind of representing the people because this is what the truth, right? And instead of dealing with it, they let their shame cause them to run and hide in a cave. See, I, I guess the question is, are we going to face... Are we going to face our sins and put our faith in Jesus or are we going to run? Are we going to run into the caves? Because at the end of the day, we all have a battle that needs to be fought. Are we, are we going to face the shame and the guilt and what we've done or are we going to retreat to the cave? Let me give you an idea here. I know I, I use a lot of metaphors, but I, I think this makes sense. I mean, many people run to the cave of intellectualism where they try to theorize away their sin and the morality and 
make up a whole other ism that justifies their actions and their lifestyles and the shame that they have. And maybe it's the cave of apathy where we just ignore the fact that we have this evil in our lives and wrongs we have committed and just ignore it because this is cave is comfortable. Maybe it's the cave of self-pity where we wallow in our wrongs and the evil that, we, that we've done and, and we're just comfortable in our shame and think, why, why would God want me? I mean, after all, look what I am and look what I've done. I'll just sit here and waste away. See, instead of facing the reality of the coming of God's judgment, they ran and hid into the cave. They chose the cave instead of facing their sins. Where are you? There's an interesting story of a Japanese soldier. I wish I could pronounce his name. Shochi Yokio. I'm not exactly sure. But (laughs) he was a World War II Japanese fighter. And, and in 1944, when the Allies were getting the upper hand in the war, he feared for his life, and so he hid in a remote cave on the island of Guam. He was so afa- afraid of facing a tribunal um, for what he did in the war, he stayed in the cave for over 28 years. It's a true story. 28 years he's in this cave, and he lived off of frogs and lizards and things that he could find out in the night when it was really dark. He'd go out of the cave, and he'd g- gather some supplies and then go back in. I mean, the guy who... The guy was in prison already. I don't get this, but I mean, he's living in this cave by himself. Oh, and he lived off of rats and everything else. But eventually some hunters found him all those years later and they escorted him out of the dark cave that he purposefully imprisoned himself in. See, the kings ran to the cave, imprisoning themselves in there. Can I just say that we do this on a daily basis instead of instead of facing our sin in the light of the son of Jesus Christ instead of facing the truth of who we really are we try to justify it away intellectualize it away live with it away i mean whatever you want to say we do this and like this poor guy instead of going into the light of the freedom and getting the forgiveness that he would receive because he did we stay in that cave See, the fact is that God doesn't call us to face shame alone. He, he wants us to stand up and deal with our sin, uh, but, but not by ourselves. I mean, there's so many other religions that say, you need to take care of your junk. <laughs> you need to stand on your own bootstraps and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, stand on your own ground and take care of it, because God does not accept you unless you do this, 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 this. That's not the case. That's why I love communion. Because the idea is, God, this is who I am. And he says, I'll take you. Because if you stop trying to do it and let me do it, I mean, that's the whole story of the Old Testament and why the Israelites kept blowing it because they kept trying to do it on their own. God says, let me do it. I I will do it for you. That's why God sent his son. And the truth is, Jesus was shut up in a cave for three days so that we don't have to be. This is the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. The love and mercy of God. But we got to be honest and we got to face the sin of our own life and our shame and the regret and all the decisions we've ever made. We got to face that stuff. We got to be real. We got to be men. We got to be women and stand and say, God, this is, this is what I have. And that's all God wants of us. 
Because once we admit that and we go to Him, we can have that faith in Jesus. Because second, this is the last thing. Fearless living means we trust that the enemy is under Jesus' feet. See, we trust that the enemy is under Jesus' feet. I love this part in the, in, in the chapter 10. Because... I don't, let me just read it. It's awesome. Verse 24 says, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, because they bring them out of the cave, right? Because justice eventually will win. God's truth always wins. He summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and they placed their feet on the necks. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and fear not. Be courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all your enemies you were going to fight. See, what's interesting is, in the ancient world, if you wanted to show, I'm the winner, you would bring your enemies before you, and you would put your foot on the back of their neck saying, I win. Right? It's the ultimate king of the, king of the hill. Right? It's the ultimate, like, you know, ultimate fighting championship. Who won? I did. I put my foot on his neck. I'm the winner. That's what they do. Because their power is gone. They have nothing. They cannot ever affect you again. By the way, the Israelites had the boot of Egypt on their neck for over 400 years. They had been slaves. They had never, ever won. Ever. And God brings them out and says, I'm going to fight your battle. Be strong. Be courageous. You are now conquerors. You who were once slaves. See, they were people who once had the shameful boot of addiction on their neck. They were now free. They were people who once had the shameful boot of bitterness and anger on their neck were now free. People who once had the shameful boot of deception or the shameful boot of abuse or the shameful boot of bad decisions were now free. Amen? Because that's the truth. That's the truth of who you and I are. You see, in Christ, we say, I was lost. I was a slave to my sin. But now, praise be to God who put the boot on the neck of my sin to free me. God moved the heavens and the earth for these former slaves. He caused the sun to stand still and caused hail to fall. He does all this so that they would know He's won the battle. And that He puts His feet on them. This, by the way, is the enemy that constantly comes to you and reminds you of how much you blow it. How much you make mistakes. How bad you, quote-unquote, are. Especially when you've come to Jesus. What I love about this, by the way, is... um, I don't know if you remember Adam and Eve. I want to take you through a little second real quick here because we're almost done. But Adam and Eve, they blow it. They sin. And they, and they, 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 don't, they run from God. They, if there was a cave, they would have gone to it. But they hid from God. And, and finally God brings them out. And they, but he does this interesting thing. He curses Satan. You know what he says to Satan? He says, eventually, there's going to be a man born from a woman, from you, who will crush you under his heel. Who will destroy you, Satan. And if you fast forward to to Colossians chapter 2, 
Paul says this. He says, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were ashes, you were nothing. You were lost. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against and condemned us. No more shame, basically. You, you have no reason to be ashamed in Christ. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, what? He made a public spectacle of them. He put his boot on their neck. That's the reality. Paul knows this. He knows exactly what the invading armies would do in Rome. He's alluding to this whole aspect of they would do this to their enemies. And he's saying that is what Jesus has done to the enemy. That is what he's done to our enemy. That is what he's done to Satan. Jesus did what we could never do. And Paul in his letter to Romans in, in chapter 16, he says the God of peace will soon crush Satan once and for all under your feet. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace, which is how you can live fearless. My question is simple. What is... What is Jesus already crushed under his boot that, that you're allowing to control you today? I, I want you to do something real quick. There's a section in your notes. I want you to take the time right now to just write down what the enemy has been using against you. What's causing you guilt and shame in your own life? Now, you don't have to, necessarily, you don't have to show this to anybody, I know, because it's like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's tough stuff. But if you're a human being living in a broken world with an enemy that's constantly against you, he's using something against you. I want you to take this time right now. And I want you to write that down. I want you to give it to Jesus. I want you to say, God, th this part of my past he keeps bringing up. You know, maybe it's the thought life aspect. Maybe there's things in your thought life that you're going, this is what I'm getting hit with, with Satan. I mean, maybe it's, it's just that, that whole the, the stuff of, of what you did before or how you've raised your kids here. Or what I mean, you name it. There's so many things that you can get hit with by the enemy. What is it? I want you to write that down. What has the enemy been using in your life to cause shame? Where, what have you been hiding in the cave? Now, maybe you need time. This is your challenge this week. If you've written something down right now, I want to. I want to pray. I want to bring the worship team up here, but, but I want you to, I want you to take this list. And maybe you need time, and I get that. You know, go home. But please don't don't ignore this because this is super important. I want you to give this thing. Maybe it's things that the enemy has been using against you. And I want you to give it to Jesus. And, and right now, if we can, we're going to pray. But I really want you to close your eyes right now. And maybe you've got this thing in your mind. And I know I have things in my mind that he uses against me. And, and I want you to give it to Jesus in your mind here and see this because I think this is important. God created the imagination. He wants us to, I really believe, see Jesus as you give this thing to him. Put it under his foot and say, I, I conquered that. <laughs> I beat that. You see, when you gave your life to me, you are a new creation. 
And this is no longer you. You don't need to be ashamed of this anymore. Now move on. And when you forget, because we do, tomorrow when the enemy brings that up in your life, tries to get you to dwell on that, be ashamed of that, and run to the cave, you remember that God through His grace and the power and the blood of Jesus has put it under His feet. And He's made you more than a conqueror. Like Joshua and the Israelites. He stopped heaven and earth for you so that you might have life. Can we just praise Him for that? I mean, stopping the the sun is cool. That's a really cool science trick. I wish I could have been there to see that, you know? But you know what's even more awesome than that? The Son of God dying for you, beating death so that you might have life. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, you moved heaven and earth so that we might be free of shame. Free of the sin that so easily entangles, it says in the Word. God, without you we're lost. So I just come before you now as one sinner in front of my fellow brothers and sisters who are also sinners. And I say thank you for making me a saint. Thank you for taking what the enemy has used against me and putting it under your feet. Lord, help me to remember that you have already won the battle and that this battle that I sometimes fall into daily or sometimes fall into weekly or sometimes fall into in certain aspects in whatever it is with my brothers and sisters here. Lord, we come before you and we say it's already won. You've already conquered it. Help us to live in your grace and in your mercy and tell the enemy that we already know the end of the story. And he loses. And that he has no power in our life through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you. And we just come before you and we say, may you be praised. As you take us just as we are. And make beauty out of the ashes. 